Live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, it's time for the Exit Exchange. Brought to you by XPX Atlanta. Dedicated to changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the Southeast. Now, here's your host. And hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Exit Exchange. I'm John Ray, alongside David Shavzin and Bob Tanksley. Uh, David, Bob, welcome back. (laughs) Thanks, John. Good morning. Hope you're doing well. Yeah, doing great. Uh, uh, Bob, hope you're well today. Yeah, yeah, doing good. Just having a little video trouble, but we're good to go. Awesome. Well, nobody can tell that's listening, so no, no worries. Um, uh, and folks, uh, we've got a great guest today, but before we get to him, I want to just remind you that the Exit Exchange is brought to you by XPX Atlanta. XPX Atlanta is fundamentally changing the trajectory of exit planning services in the southeastern United States. If you like more information on XPX Atlanta and its uh, services to both advisors and business owners, uh, go to xpxatlanta.org. And now I want to welcome Dave Daniels. Dave is with Dave Daniels Consulting. Dave, welcome. Thank you. Very creative name, don't you think? I love it. Uh, it, it's very alliterative, right? So easy for me to say, right? Um, um, well, Dave, let's, uh, let's get into how you're serving folks out there. Give everyone an introduction to your work. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, glad to be with you. I'm a former McDonald's executive. I ran the fourth largest domestic region based out of Nashville, Tennessee. I had about 400 restaurants that I was responsible for. I covered five states. I had 100 franchisees and 100 staff employees. Uh, As part of that piece, I did that job for about three years and just had a fantastic time. I went on then to build a CUSO from scratch for a credit union in Portland, Oregon. And you're probably saying, what the heck is a CUSO? CUSO stands for Credit Union Service Organization. And it's a way for credit unions to have a for-profit entity. So we uh, built uh, an entity for them that went, as I mentioned, from scratch to over $55.5 million worth of loans for people who were credit challenged. And uh, we had some great success there. Our charge-off rate, the cost of repossession, was less than 1%, which is as good as anybody with a 795 and above credit score. So just had a great time with that and really enjoyed uh, that experience. I've also built uh, several other successful businesses. I was a financial services consultant, both for Prudential and for State Farm, and did that for several years out of the Albuquerque, New Mexico area. And then my current business, which is, again, as we had some fun with Dave Daniels Consulting, and I've been doing this for about three years, and I focus on executive consulting Uh, with a clear focus in diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I focus specifically with leadership teams. Just got back from Ohio uh, late last night, actually early this morning, uh, working with a a team there in Columbus. Uh, And then I'm also a certified coach of the IDI, and that's, uh, again, an acronym for Intercultural Development Inventory. And what is that? And you can see after you you hear all of that. It's a mouthful. That's why we call it IDI. 
but specifically, it's a leadership assessment focused on inclusion. And that's what I was doing uh, yesterday with the group. I had administered the IDI to eight executives on an individual basis, provided confidential feedback and understanding of their results and help them set an action plan moving forward to develop their skill sets. And because there were eight or more in that group, I was able to do some group dynamics and I spent 90 minutes with them yesterday uh, talking about how they could leverage it, not only individually, but collectively. That's um, quite a career, Dave. <laughs> Thank you. That's, that's uh, a lot of changes, which is really interesting. So we're here to talk about this thing called diversity, and you kind of walked through just a little bit of your current activities. Um, but what the heck is it? You hear it a lot, right? When when somebody says that word, and if there's a hundred people in the room, there's probably two hundred and fifty thoughts about what that really is. So so give us uh, give us your version and uh, take it further to um, equity and inclusion. What does all that mean? Well, David, you hit the key. Uh, there are all kinds of different definitions, but I use, uh, I try to take everything and simplify it into real terms. I try to take it more from an academic perspective to a real world perspective to deal with real world issues. But for me, diversity is simply trying to, re to, to reflect uh, the demographic makeup of the area that you do business. So if you're a national uh, business, you try to reflect the national demographics. If you're more local business, you try within your organization to reflect your employee base that's reflective of the demographics in the areas that you do business. And again, the goal is to be representative at all levels of the organization. And what, what does that mean? It really means that what you're trying to do is really broaden your appeal uh, to bring in a more diverse group of points of view and that what that does is really allows for people to bring themselves and oftentimes bring much better solutions uh, to the table than more traditional homogeneous types of groups. There's been a lot of research done in that area and uh, it always points to the fact that a diverse team often, often outperforms any other team. So, so talk, talk to us a little, little bit more about that. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, that sounds like it's important to any company. Um, you know, it, it may not make a difference, but if you think about some of the smaller companies, the lower mid-market companies that uh, we and a lot of our members um, have as clients, you know, what, what, what's, what are the concrete things you see coming out of that in terms, in terms of the benefits? And we'll get to how to do that later. But, yeah, but yeah. What, you know, when that happens, what does that look like uh, for, the, for the company? Well, from my perspective, it's, and I think we have to understand the reason that diversity had, quite frankly, much more appeal. If you look at things historically on a continuum, there was EEO, there was affirmative action that garnered some bad feelings by many individuals. And then diversity, because diversity is more than race and gender, it's a much broader area, it brings in a lot of things, such as an example would be. It broadens to thought or experience and all kinds of different things. And that's much more of appeal because what you want to do when you're bringing a team together is you want to be able to bring the best of the best. Now, what I like to do, David, to your question, if I could for a moment, I'd like to talk about what diversity is not because there's a lot. And again, I want to go back to the affirmative action days. 
I've interviewed well over 400 executives over the last 10 years on a lot of different things. And when I talk about this topic, they'll often say, Dave, I want to support our initiatives. I understand the, the potential benefits for our organization, but here's what I don't want it to be. I don't want us hiring uh, somebody who's not the most qualified. I don't want to be promoting somebody who is not the most qualified. So if you're going through this journey of diversity, equity, and inclusion, and especially if you're using an outside resource or even using internally, internal resources, if, if that's the road you're going, you're going down the wrong road because anybody that I know, and I know a lot of people in this field, I've been in the field for a long time, will tell you it's not, you always, always look for and select the best possible candidate. But what it does mean is that you may be underrepresented with some groups, demographic groups within your organization today. So what that means is uh, very clearly is that you have to expend time and effort to expand those underrepresented pools. And when you do that, then you start to uh, get a much more rich candidate pool. And I always try to tell people, take the DE&I piece out of it. And if I said to an executive, if I can provide you a broader and more rich pool of applicants in more depth in your organization, would you be with me? And they always say, well, of course. Of course I would. And that's what this is. And that's where I try to simplify this and to try to make it practical. It's not promoting people who are not qualified. It's not hiring people who are not qualified. It's broadening, broadening the pool oftentimes of underrepresented groups. Did that answer your question, David? Yeah, you know, it, it does. And, you know, it makes me think, because I'm going through this process in my head of, it all, it all sounds really good. And like you say, when you talk to the executives, they, they say they want it. Um, and, and then even I, it sounds like we'll understand the, the reasons, you know, intellectually. Um, so here's a question for you, given all of that. You know, do you find people know where to go all right, to find different kinds of people, whether, you know, you've got organizations that may be, um, you know, skewed higher in age, where do you go find it? You know, if they're, if they're 40s and 50s and 60s in the organization and you're looking for that 25-year-old, do they know where to go? If you're looking to uh, mix up the, the organization based on race or anything, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know how, do you, how do you help your clients really proactively work that and, and right. find those right. folks where they typically don't because they're probably not going where they are? Yeah. Well, it's a great question again, and it's interesting. I'll draw from the experience of the group that I dealt with, the group of executives yesterday. And there's a number of different ways to do it. And there's some short-term remedies and there are some longer-term remedies as well. And one may need to feed the other. And one of the leaders in this particular group uh, shared with the team that they had just hired an individual and that they had used an executive search firm. Uh, and that person was able to identify several top-notch uh, candidates of people of color. And so that was, that was a critical piece. And as they went through the whole process, there was a very strong consensus that uh, one of the African-American candidates was the top candidate, and they were able to do that. So you say, that's cool, and, and you celebrate that, which you do, right? Because now they're bringing some diversity to their organization that they didn't have before, if you truly believe, which I do and many do today, that, again, if you have a diverse group of people, you're going to get better results and better better remedies. 
then that's a good thing to happen. Now, what's the downside of that? It's pretty, it's pretty expensive when you go through uh, uh, executive headhunters and that. It can become very, very expensive. So where we celebrated that, what I try to get executives to think about is think about not only the immediate solution, but then in the spirit of continuous improvement, how do you build upon that? And you build upon that, and this is the second part of the answer, which is more mid to long term, is that you have to identify either nationally, depending if you're a national, you have a national footprint, but we're talking more to smaller, probably more geographically based. You really want to find out who the key players are uh, of different organizations in your area that support businesses, that support businesses, because there are different groups that have different goals. Uh, different missions, and you really need to do your homework. Uh, you can reach out to an expert such as myself who can tell you some of those differences. Uh, and but you can do your own research because there's with Google today you can you can do anything and, and get that information very easily. But then you need to reach out to those organizations in the win-win situation. I find most people say, "Well, Dave, am I supposed to give them money?" You know, and there's certainly that may be appropriate. Uh, at some point or some level, but you're really trying to establish a win-win working relationship. And there are so many things that you can do with, for that organization oftentimes as an established, successful business person. And I mean, you can help them from a standpoint of selection skills, development skills, in all kinds of things, supporting what they're trying to do, fundraisers. Uh, there are There's a plethora of things that you can do to support and build a win-win relationship and build that. And that's the key word is relationship. You're building a relationship and that takes time. Uh, a lot of organizations, uh, especially minority organizations, oftentimes are, are approached. They get, they get a lot of companies or a lot of people approaching them and they have to weed through who's, who are the, who's the real deal and who's just somebody looking to get a PR fix to be very mm -hmm. candid. And these may be professional associations, those kinds of things. Exactly, exactly, yeah. exactly. So I think that's the key. You may need to start short term, but you can't lose the sight of that spirit of continuous improvement to try to get to something more cost effective. And from there, you start to build a reputation within the minority community. Then that translates to uh, to your employment image. And, and, and this isn't hypothetical. It works. It really works if you select the right organizations and establish the right relationships. And, and you, had, you had mentioned uh, a moment ago, um, you know, talking with uh, typically when you start talking with the, with these executives or the, or the owners uh, that concern is, are they getting the best qualified person? So it sounds like you're saying, however, you know, you find them and you, and you need to work it proactively to, to find um, the right folks. You're, you're still screening and selecting uh, as you would anybody, right? right. You know the skill sets still have to be there. Yeah, absolutely. And and selection is a really interesting piece. And I often, I almost always get into that as a key area for a business. Is how do you go about the selection process? Well, it starts right. It starts with because uh, a lot of people say, well, it starts with the hiring process. And I, my point is, it starts way before that. It starts with that recruitment process. It starts uh, with trying to broaden your pool of candidates. And again, I think everybody agrees 
that broader the the pool, whether it's a new hire or internal, it will really make a difference and it will allow you to hire. But then now you're into the selection process, right? So you got the recruitment process. Now you're into the selection process in really examining that process and how you go about that. And this is where it gets difficult because we all, everybody, everybody brings some level of biases. We all are a product of how we were brought up, the environment we were brought up in, the exposure we've had, to a lot of different mediums or influences in our lives. So we all bring biases. Uh, And so what we need to do is understand that sometimes those biases unconsciously will steer us in a direction that maybe we just don't think it's going to steer us. We all like to be around people that we're comfortable with, people like us. And oftentimes it's getting out of your comfort zone uh, to be able to understand a different culture background, but understand because of that, the value that that person or persons will bring. Good. So, so bringing that back us back a little bit to our world of exit planning and, and uh, uh, looking at our client companies, help, helping them grow. Um, you know, we, we do believe that a stronger workforce is going to optimize that business. So, you know, when we're working with our clients and talking to buyers, um, they're, they're looking at everything. They're doing their due diligence across the board, especially the more sophisticated ones are going to understand that's important. So um, what, you know, you've talked through a little bit of that process of, of hiring, um, you know, identifying uh, what, what happens when they get, you know, they start work, they get there day one, um, you know, if it's, if it really is something new, you know, so whether, you know, whether it's a, a, you know, the new um, 25 year old hire, new, you know, in a, in a, with a much older organization or the new African-American or the woman, you know, with a whole bunch of men in the organization, um, you know, how, how do you, how do you start? How do you guide them to uh, start and make it work? Right. We, right. we know it's sort of the end game in theory, but how do you, how do you get to step one and step two and step three? Uh, again, a great question. So we're really talking at least initially, right. We're talking the onboarding process. Uh, in the old days, that was the orientation. You come in and you do an orientation and then you get flung in and, and away you went. Uh, today, many companies of any size have got, become a little more sophisticated, a little more thoughtful about that process. Mm-hmm. So onboarding is far more than an orientation. It's far more than going through benefits and compensation and all of the do's and don'ts and the 552 ways you can get fired, those kinds of things. And those, those are things from a traditional perspective that have occurred, and those are still obviously necessary, um, but it goes well beyond that. How do you then transition your new employee into the organization, but also their, their specific discipline within their business unit or the leader that they're working with and the team that they're working with? And that can get much more challenging, and that's where leadership comes into play. So let me step back here. One of the things that I do in my approach is I always insist that any DE&I journey initiative has to start with the leadership team. So many different people, gentlemen, start in the middle of the organization. It's because oftentimes CEOs at any level, are all busy. Doesn't and I would argue that even smaller size businesses are going to be far busier uh, than even a mid to larger organization because they have to wear so many hats. I've been there. 
I went from being an executive of 100 people and 400 restaurants to to my own businesses, and it was me. And that's that's a it's a scary task. It's it's quite a transition, and so you really have to understand that what you do from that selection process and how you onboard the people becomes very critical. And you have to pull your leadership group together to understand what their role is in this. And that's where, for me, this whole piece then, as you you get to the diversity piece, you're now into the inclusion piece. How do you make people feel more comfortable? More importantly, inclusion for me, a quick definition, David, for inclusion for me is, how do you bring the best out of everybody? And if you can bring the best out of everybody, I think we'd all agree that you have a much enhanced opportunity to really, again, optimize that person's individual results, but then to also contribute as a contributing team member. And so you get better innovation, you get better execution, you get better results. Uh, and when you can do that, it obviously has a broader impact. And even smaller organizations need to step back. I would suggest even more importantly, to step back and say, how do you do that today? How can we do that more effectively? And how do we understand that, especially if we're just beginning this journey, and I don't have a lot of representation in a particular underrepresented group in my demographics that I'm trying to reflect, and let's say that's a Hispanic male or female, what do I need to do? Do I understand that that person is probably going to encounter some situations, perceived and or real, uh, that I may not encounter as a white male because it's predominantly white male uh, organization. So you've got to understand those dynamics and help that person uh, understand where those dynamics could be. Now, specifically from a strategic perspective and then taking that down to action steps and tactics, that's where I think you do a couple of different basic things. Do you have a buddy program within the organization? And so is that person paired up with somebody who is going to have success with that? Who is ever responsible for that employee? Do they really buy in to cradle, the cradle to grave theory that I'm responsible? I'm bringing this person on. I'm going to ensure that they're successful. And what does that look like? And, and do I then look internally, not beyond a buddy program? Uh, is there somebody that I can set up that can be a mentor for this person? And a mentor, generally speaking, in my humble opinion and experience, needs to be somebody other than the boss. It's very difficult to play both of those roles. So you have to be able to step back and look at different resources within your organization. If you don't have them within the organization, who are your trusted members of your network outside your organization that you may be able to tap into as well. And I rarely see people doing that and it can be very, very effective. Okay. No, that that's great. And, you know, I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up. I always say wrap it up with a, one last question and then we end up with more questions, but um, yeah. So yeah, bring So bringing this all home, you know, I think, I think it's, it's what you've talked through is um, makes sense, right? You know, uh, the bigger pool of people, the better organization you're going to have, right? The bank, college, football, you know, 40,000 student organization is going to have a bigger pool than a smaller one, all those kinds of good things. Um, so then the, I guess the question is really, you know, think about uh, our members of XPX and their advisors of all sorts, right? They're the attorney CPAs, 
all kinds of consultants from marketing IT, whatever it happens to be. Um, what would you suggest? Um, what what kind of language? What kind of question? Uh, can they use to simply bring this idea up to their clients? They're not going to become experts, uh, right? Mm-hmm. And it's like a lot of other areas and disciplines. There's a lot of things that these these business owners that we deal with are not doing, or, or you know, are just not getting to. And this is one of them. So if you were to share with uh, with our members, hey, here's a few things to get the attention of the owner, at least to start to think about this stuff. What would that be? Yeah, and I I think it starts uh, with the premise that do you believe as an owner, especially if you're looking to sell uh, your organization, do do you want to be able to demonstrate the best possible results? You want that balance sheet, that P&L, to look the best possible, to the best possible uh, story that you can tell. And if, if you do believe that if you have a more diverse group, that becomes a huge competitive advantage that you're going to have when you uh, are out there uh, presenting your business to potential buyers. And that can become a critical, critical difference maker. Uh, and so if then I'm looking on the other side and I'm looking to see where the company is that I'm looking at buying, that would be the other side of this. I would ask a simple question to start out with. And that simple question is, what does your company do in the DE&I arena? What, what, what are you doing? What have you been doing for the last two or three years? I would open with that question. So that would be question number one. And then there's some more specific questions, follow-up questions like you've done today, David. And those questions could look like, for example, uh, where did you start? your DE&I journey. And I ask, I say that because a lot of times people will start in the middle of the organization because the CEO sees it as a pain point, not as a competitive difference. And if you find that out, that's, that's a huge flag. That's a huge flag. So what you're hopefully going to find is that, that the CEO and the leadership team is where this journey began. And then you need to understand their how that occurred in their current role today. So I think that would be the second question. Number three is what a big mistake that most organizations and of any size that make when trying to implement DE&I, they try to make it a separate entity. They put it out over here. And we all know when that happens. Again, take DE&I out of it. If you do something separate, it's not integrated into the overall strategy and the vision and mission of the organization. Guess what? It's real easy to forget about. Oftentimes, it's easy, the first thing to get caught. So what you're looking for is you're trying to probe and find to see if they have integrated DE&I into the fabric again of the vision, mission, the values, and their overall strategy with within the organization. The next question I would say is, who leads the efforts today and why? In a small organization, small organizations don't have the ability to go out and hire chief diversity officers. They just don't have the resources to do that. The organization I was with yesterday was a good example of that. My pitch to them is they all have to own it. They all have to own it, and not only from a corporate perspective, but within their areas and their business units. And so you want to probe and understand if that's happening in the organization. And then 
I want to know specifically from a measurement perspective what their process is. And I get into overall measurement beyond D, D, E, and I of a concept of outcomes and impact. And how are they measuring results and are the leadership group to try to really focus on uh, accountability and their results? So those would be the questions. No, that's good, and and um, as I foreshadowed, of course, there's another half a question, but I'll I'll, I'll get done. John's done watching the time today, which is uh, is what he should be doing. But yeah, I think you know because some of those questions, of course, are though for those who have done something. I'm thinking my first reaction when you said you know the first question, what are you doing in DEI? Was I think in a lot of cases in these smaller companies, they're going to ask you how to spell DE and I. Right. You know, it's that, and so but but you know. But in I think in our world, though, for me, that question is still valid because it'll start it'll start a conversation, you know, yep. you know and, and come back to you for those that aren't really doing much of anything, um, especially, you know, and I think for us, again, in our world of exit, I bring it right back to value. Right. In other words, even if they've got very little understanding at this point or the, uh, but if you start talking to them about the value of playing in this space, uh, you know, and we're looking towards building value towards a successful sale. Yeah, you know, doing better in business. Um, so can, I'll can just, I just respond to that yeah. real quick. So to that point, because I my business focuses primarily on small to mid sized businesses, and I would tell you uh, the recognition and the understanding of the need to get DE and I incorporated into the organization for CEOs today and at that level is it's the highest level by far that I've ever seen. The events of the mm. last eighteen months. Uh, within our country and so many different things that have occurred. Uh, the the okay. small businesses, mid-sized businesses understand they're not getting a pass on this. And CEOs are reacting at all levels and quite frankly, much more effectively in many cases and much more real in the small to mid-sized businesses. And I would suggest it would be a huge competitive advantage. Oh, okay. That's great to hear. That's really good to hear. Wow. Very nice. Thanks. Yeah, on that encouraging uh, uh, news, uh, uh, great stuff, Dave Daniels. It's been been a pleasure having you on the show. I can't imagine that there aren't some folks that uh, hearing some of your comments don't want to be in touch and talk uh, a little bit more with you. And uh, uh, Is it okay that they do that? And if so, uh, can, can you uh, provide uh, your coordinates? Yeah, I am. I'm based out of the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And a couple of different ways that you can get a hold of me. Uh, my email is dave at davedanielsconsulting.com. Again, very creative, but dave at davedanielsconsulting.com. Uh, my mobile number, which is my work number, is 972-269-3400. 972-269-3400. And if you want to see what I'm about a, l- a little bit more, you can do a couple of different things. I do have a website. Uh, it's davedanielsconsulting.com, uh, or you can go to LinkedIn, and uh, I have a pretty extensive LinkedIn profile there. Feel free to connect with me. Dave Daniels, Dave Daniels Consulting. Dave, it's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thanks for having me. Hey, folks, just a quick reminder again that the Exit Exchange is brought to you by XPX Atlanta, and XPX Atlanta operates off a basic premise that no one advisor has all the answers. 
uh, our board membership and sponsors are comprised of a high quality network of advisors and service providers who focus on collaboration and placing the client's interest at the center of all that we do. If you want more information on XPX Atlanta, uh, whether you're an advisor or you're a business owner, go to xpxatlanta.org. David, Bob, another great show. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for having us. Great topic. Dave, thanks for your time. Thanks, Bob. Yeah, yeah, thanks. I muted there for a moment. Excellent show, guys. Thanks. Yeah, thanks again. Thanks, David. And again, for uh, XPX Atlanta, David Shavzin, Bob Tanksley, I'm John Ray. Join us next time on the Exit Exchange.